Good morning. Greetings in the name of Jesus. Good to see each one that is here. See the house as full as it is this morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Title of the message this morning is Victory Over Stress. And the question that came to mind this morning that I had is, is the preacher allowed to stress over a message about stress? <laughs> you know, we, there, there is work that goes into it and there is some ponderings and is it going to come out the way that you think it should and the way you, your thoughts are and ultimately you have to, the, mess, the, the key in, in the message today is trusting God and ultimately you have to trust that the Holy Spirit can lead. Matthew chapter 6, we read verses 25 to 34. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, filled with many nuggets of truth. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statue? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we drink, eat, or what shall we drink, and wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof." We are surrounded in life by things that bring stress and anxiety and, and tempt us to worry. We stress when it rains too much. We stress like this year when it didn't rain enough. And, you know, we parents stress about their children. Are they going to turn out all right? Are they, you know, when they're fussing or unruly, we stress out at decisions about work. Uh, we worry about our health. We worry over what people think, and believe it or not, we even stress out about things that haven't happened yet, or perhaps over things that won't happen. I think stress is a, a maybe you can call it a natural reaction to, or natural reaction to things that we think are not in our control, or are going to get out of our control. The funny thing as I was thinking about this is that all my worrying, all my stressing over things that are not in my control doesn't change anything about them. And so I think stress is a major display of a lack of trust in God and probably most demonstrated by worrying. We worry about what's going to happen or, or when it's going to happen or, or, or so on. Are we not struggling to put our trust in God. And, and sometimes it feels like we've taken away our trust from God and are trying to do things in our own strength. So how do we maintain victory amid the stresses of life? The things that we stress about 
aren't going to go away simply by worrying about them. And so it's important that we determine what or how we handle these stresses that come our way so that we can properly deal with each one. And so we have to learn to identify not just what is causing our stress, but more importantly, whom we're going to trust in the midst of it. And that's what I want us to get out of the message this morning. I don't have the answers for many of my problems. I definitely don't have the answers for yours. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I want to get involved at times. But I can point you to the one who can give you the strength and the courage to walk with you during those times. And I think that is the key to victory amid the stresses of life. It's not about my personal efforts, although we all have to put efforts forth, figure out our trigger points, etc., because those are all helpful things. But the true victory has to come back to a truly deep-seated trust and a faith in God and in submitting ourselves to him, whatever it may be. So my first point is defining the stresses in our lives. Webster's has three different definitions for stress. The first two are the ones we're going to be focusing on. The first one is a state of mental tension and worry caused by problems in life's, one's life, work, etc. That sounds familiar. The second one is something that causes strong feelings of worry or anxiety. And again, that sounds familiar. The third one is more in the physical state, a physical force or, or, or pressure. We talk about PSI, uh, pounds per square inch. And there's a certain amount of force, a certain amount of stress that whatever, like in hydraulics or, or even water or air, there's a certain amount of stress that the hose and the pumps and everything have to be able to handle. That's the physical part of it. We're going to be looking more at the, the mental tension, the worry, and the things that cause us to worry and, and give anxiety. Although sometimes when you're in the middle of some of those things, it feels like a physical force. The term stressed, stress as we currently use it, was coined by the, a person, a man named Hans Selye in 1936, who defined it as the nonspecific response of the body to any demand for change. I kind of like that thought because we get stressed out over change. We get stressed out and it, and it's a, it is a response. Stress is simply our body's way of responding to the demands that it's facing. And there can be both good and a bad side to this. So when somebody, for example, is feeling stressed about, use the example of a, of a fire, the body releases adrenaline. And all that is designed to kick our bodies, our minds, and mental capacities into gear to save us from physical harm. The other side is, is that if, if we're faced with something emotional or some of these things we talked about, changes at work, um, health, you name it, we can stress out about those things to the point where we may not even be able to make rational decisions. And so it, it's negative when that change, that our response is something emotional, and there's no good outlet for that extra energy and strength. And so as we think through that there, it can help us then to determine how we handle these things. 
Now, there's many things that cause stress. And everyone, each one of us here, has a different level and a different method and different things that trigger this. According to some surveys that I read, work stress tops the list. 40% of U.S. workers admit to experiencing office stress. 25% say work is the biggest source of stress in their lives, being unhappy with their jobs. Um, heavy workload, too much responsibility, long hours, poor management, and so on. The list goes on. There's also life stresses that have a huge impact on us. The death of a loved one, that's very stressful. Loss of a job, changes in our financial obligations or whatever it may be, moving to a new home, health issues. Brother Eli and Sister Ruth Ellen, the last few years, there's been... Lots of stress, hasn't there? It affects us. And then family, looking on and taking care of an elderly or sick family member is changes. We have to deal with it. We have to figure it out. Uh, there's, uh, there's some newlyweds here. Getting married brings stress. And for those of us who have been married for a few years, there's, there's still some elements in the relationship that, that bring stress. Traumatic events such as natural disasters. I didn't live through really any of these other than some big snowstorms. But for those who have been in, or maybe even gone back and seen the results of hurricanes, you can see the stress that takes, takes place, it can come. There's another part of stress yet that comes from inside rather than outside. Fear, uncertainty. How about my own attitudes and perceptions? of events or viewpoints. So this can all affect unrealistic expectations. Do I have the proper view? Is my expectations of how something should turn out, is it proper or is it unrealistic to the point where it just makes me, drives me bunkers when it doesn't go the way I thought it should? Already mentioned change. All these things we talk about, they're all things that bring stress into our lives. And because God has made us unique individuals, we respond differently. Some of us go through life and stress is just minor bumps in the road. We let it run off our backs just like water off of a, of a duck's back. While some of us absorb and literally worry ourselves sick over what some of us consider the smallest of details. Okay, so God made us different. But no matter how we respond, we need to realize that the choices that, make, that we make determine our response to each stressful situation. And those choices are going to be what helps us gain victory. My second point is that of worry causes stress. I've been using them a little bit intertwined, but yet stress and worry are not the same. They say that probably one of the leading causes of stress is worry. The word worry comes from an old English word that means to strangle, to choke, to seize by the throat. The Greek definition refers to it being drawn in different directions, being distracted. And so worry, is, it pulls apart, leads us to emotional, mental, spiritual problems and can eventually, if not taken care of, lead even to physical illness. Came across an illustration that kind of a, kind of gruesome. 
But the way that illustrates this whole point of what worrying does, when wolves go to kill a sheep, it's usually not through mutilation, but they grab it by the neck and strangle it. Okay, It's the same idea that worry brings on. And so in our lives, if, as we allow worry to take root, it can more or less strangle us. The wolf of worry has us by the neck. We live in fear. We trust less in God, but we also trust less in others. So worry drags us down. It brings discouragement. It makes life less appealing and many times affects our ability to make good decisions. And ultimately, the result of that all is a loss of God's peace and assurance. Jesus said, in the verses we read, he says, let's not worry. He condemns the sin of worrying. He doesn't use that word, but the words he uses mean the same thing. If you look again in verses 25, 31, and 34, he says the, uses the words, take no thought. It's essentially the same thing as don't worry. And it's not just a suggestion. It's a command. Take no thought. The reason that worrying is so sinful is that it robs us from trusting Jesus. Four ways that worry is so wrong that we can take from Jesus' word. In Matthew 6, 25 and 26, we can see Jesus teaching worrying is a waste. And he uses creation, and I like how many of the writers of the Bible use creation to illustrate a point. God cares for the little thing Jesus said. So why would he not care for us as people? We are the prize of his creation. The birds don't farm, but yet God provides. They live. A little bit of a humorous conversation that you could think between a couple birds. The sparrow asked the robin why these humans are rushing about so anxiously. The robin replies, well, it appears that they have no heavenly father to care for them. That doesn't happen in, in, in reality, but don't we often act that way? We walk about, we live as though we fail to see God as our heavenly father caring for us. I think the message Jesus wants us to understand here is that trusting him is critical for our spiritual well-being, for our victory. Worry is a waste, but trusting is valuable. Secondly, worry doesn't work. It never works to worry. And Jesus says this in a very simple illustration in verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statue? Worrying doesn't work. The only thing that does work when we worry is the thing we worry about seems to get worse. There's things in life we cannot change. And so why should we worry about the things that are out of our control? No one here can change their height. No one here can say, oh, I'm tired of being... 45, I'm going to go change the date of my birth and I'm going to be 38. Doesn't happen. Doesn't work. What about all the different events that are taking place around us? We can't change the point of history that we're in. We can't change the fact that, you know, we just came through election, the, the midterm elections here. We can't change the facts of what happens in those elections. But yet we can tend to worry about the course that is laid out before us. 
And contrary to popular belief, we can't even change the people around us. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Someone wrote, Don't tell me what that worrying doesn't help. The things that I worry about never happen. Another quote I came across says, Worrying is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Worrying is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Chewing that one for a bit. There's a professor at an American university who did a study on some of these things that people worry about. It's interesting what his research revealed. 40% of what never happens is what people worry about. 30% of their worries were about the past. 12% were needless worries about health. 10% about petty issues. Only 8% were legitimate. That means 92% of the things that we worry about is wasted mental and emotional energy that's consumed on things that's outside our power. And then Jesus comes along and says, take no thought. And he blows apart the idea that the 8% that is legitimate to worry about is worth worrying about. Why is this? Because when we worry, we're telling God, you really don't care. And that my problem is bigger than you can deal with. And if you think of sitting before the God Almighty, the creator of the universe, and telling him you don't care, and that you can't deal with my problem, what a slap in his face that is. Thirdly, Jesus teaches us that worry causes us to waver. If you take a peek at verses 28 to 31, you'll see again Jesus bringing our attention to his creation and how it works to illustrate this point. If the lilies and the grasses have nothing to worry about, why should we? If I worry about the economy and is it going to be good for me in the future, if I worry about the laws that our government's passing that could negatively affect me, or if I worry about how I'm going to pay off my mortgage and clothe and feed my family, we talked about that in Sunday school this morning, or even worry about natural events that take place. What I'm doing is I'm putting my faith in jeopardy. Because as I worry, I am focusing more on the things of the world. Most of which I have very little control of. And I'm placing less faith and less trust in God who can provide and guide and keep me. Jesus said, consider these lilies, how they grow, but yet they don't sow or spin. The word consider means to learn thoroughly, to note carefully. We can learn much by considering the creation of God and how it simply functions the way God wants us to function. It doesn't worry. The amazing thing, in, in, you know, earlier this summer, the grass was so brown. But it popped back with a little rain. They don't worry. And then Jesus hits us hard in these verses when he says, O ye of little faith. Worry usually is the result of fears over non-controllable problems. And fear is a result of our stresses showing a lack of faith. 
Psalm 56, verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Hebrews 3, verse 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is conquering our stress is simply focusing on the Almighty. And then finally, in these passages, look at verse 31 and 33 again. Worry wipes out our witness. Here again, Jesus is illustrating the importance of trusting God and not worrying. Look at the world around us, the non-believers. What are they living for? They're living for the present. They're living to please and seeking after anything that revolves around their pleasures, continually running from, the ne- from, the, from one thing to the next that they think is going to bring satisfaction. They crave and they diligently seek at times the satisfaction in things that leave them empty. So Jesus spent a lot of his time, if you study his teachings, teaching his disciples how to live according to his word. The testimony of the Christian is not to be one of worry and stress and anxiety like the the world. When the Great Depression hit and people lost their fortunes, there was many who chose death to avoid the despairing consequences that faced them. The paragraph here that I came across that I want to share with you, worry is the ultimate act of rebellion against God. Because when we worry, we're really saying that God is dead. And if he's alive, he's then not able to do anything about our situations. When we worry, we are assuming responsibility for things God never intended us to have. We could say it like this, anxiety is atheism in action. End of quote. Again, stressing the point here that victory over stress is faith in our Heavenly Father. Jesus Finished up, and he has a phrase in here for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. The things we stress about, things we worry about, he already knows. He's just longing for us to submit to him and to come to him in faith and lay our requests down before him. He knows when it's dry. He knows about our problems. He knows about our fears. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. We can trust our Father in heaven because not only does he care, For each one of us, he is the only one who is in complete control and can do something about our situations. Turn with me next to Psalm chapter 4. Now look next at God's answer for stress. Psalm 4. I'm going to read all eight verses. Psalm 4, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with with your own heart unto your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart, more than in a time that their corn and their wine increase. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only 
makest me dwell in safety. Got some of the next ideas I have here from an article that Brother Frank Reed wrote. And it helps us to see how we should be responding to life's stresses. As David was writing Psalm 4, he begins with stress. And he closes out the, the psalm with peace and joy and sleep. There's a number of things in here that I want us to see. In the middle of the psalm, we see in verse 4, David was in distress. He had reached a point in his life where he had a choice to make. Verse 4, stand in awe or sin not. When we stand in awe of God during times of stress, those times become times of faith. When we turn to sin during times of stress, those times become times of bondage. And we do that too much. We make the wrong choices. We face the stresses. Sinful habits can look so helpful in the short term. There's quick fixes. But they are ways that deaden the stressful feelings, but only in a short-term way. Long-term, those fashions, those, those, when we turn to sin, they're destructive. God wants us to turn to him, to stand in all of him. And we, when, as we do so, we begin to see how beautiful God works out his plans in spite of the stresses we face. And so each time as we stand in all of God, and we see how he works things out. It deepens our trust and helps keep us from going back into those temporary fixes. So David begins the psalm in distress. Let's look at his responses or actions as he realizes the stress. First of all, we see his plea. He turns to prayer. He turns to God. He begs God to hear when I call. Is this my response when I'm faced with stress in my life? Is my plea for God to hear me, to deliver me, to strengthen me? Secondly, David recognizes that God is the source of righteousness. He's trusting God is going to do what is right for him. Thirdly, David asks God to bless or enlarge him when in difficult times. Do I view the challenging times that I'm going through as blessings? It's difficult to look at them that way. Fourthly, David throws himself before God's mercy. And this is really the only secure place in life to be. Before God's mercy. God is, is, it is marvelous. Even when we're, things aren't going the way we'd like them to go. Then the last thing David says in verse 1 is to hear my prayer. We love it when God answers our prayer. Especially the way we would like them to be answered. But can we expect God to hear or answer our prayers if we're not seeking his mercy? Can we expect God to come through for us if we fail to trust in his righteousness? He will come through, but it may not be with the same meaning. When we beg God to hear our prayers as David did, it's showing really how much we're willing to trust him. Verse 2 in this psalm reveals David's source of distress. He talks about ye sons of men. It's implying wicked people. Those who are trying to take him down. In contrast to God who brings deliverance. Vanity is another word he uses in there. It's a source of stress. The things of this world that we think are so important 
are simply empty and a delusion from the real truth and do not give us security, but yet we tend to allow those things to dominate us. David uses the phrase in verse 2, seek after leasing. The term leasing here is an obsolete English word for lying or falsehood. When someone lies, when someone is dishonest, that person has a ton of stress, especially if they're trying to use dishonesty to cover their tracks, to make up a story. They constantly have to remember the last lie they told. Does it line up? Does my story make sense in my dishonesty? And when we are treated with dishonesty, we become distressed about how that affects us. And so David recognized where his source was coming from and gave them to God. Verse 3, we see David assuring himself of the knowledge of truth. He says, but I know that God has set him apart him has set apart him that is godly for himself. So he recognizes and he places his confidence in God's protection. I know of no better way to handle life's stresses than to give them to God, who is the master and giver of all. Now in verses 4 and 5, David presents a choice, and we talked about this briefly a little bit, of responses that we face, how is our response going to be as we face the feelings of stress and, and portrayed against the knowledge of truth? David says, stand in awe of God. Remember, God is righteous. He is holy. He is just. He is merciful. Do I have the correct reverence to, for God that I need? Do I understand, am I willing to understand that he's in control of all things? Another, another choice, another response is do not sin. Talked about that already, but sin is often a response, sinful things, things that fulfill the lust, our lust. It's often a response to distress. And too many times we, find, we can find ourselves resorting to those things to counter our stress, only making it worse. Another thing, response is commune with God in your quiet meditation. God will hear He's waiting to hear. And let's be in communication with him. And that is one of the best deterrents against stress and against resorting to the wrong thing, wrong response that can be prescribed. Another response is being still. Stress keeps us from God. And, and you know, many times we simply have to take a step back and kind of shove out the, the world, the rattle, the, the noise of what's going on around us. Separate ourselves from the situation and sit down and take some time and listen to what God has to say for us. So being still. Another response is offer sacrifices of righteousness. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. This is a response that pleases God. And the last one I have here is trust in God. I have a paragraph here that I want to read to you from the treasury of David. It says, If ye be angry, and if ye think ye have cause to be angry, do not let your disaffection carry you to acts of rebellion against God. Consider the subject deeply before you attempt to act. Do nothing rashly. 
Do not justify one evil act by another. Sleep on the business. Trust in God. And in verse 6, we see a plea for God to shine his face of acceptance on us. It's a plea that's, in David's plea was because of the challenge of the people and the things that were around him that were causing him this, this distress. And as we go through life, those stressful things, the things that we have attempt, are tempted to worry about, those challenges are always going to be there as long as we're in this side of glory. But let's seek the favor of God. And then finally, in the last two verses, David expresses victory over stress at the end of his song of lament. You'll see how he describes how he feels as his faith again takes hold on God as he finishes reflecting on what God has for him. He says God has given him gladness of heart. And as a gladness that's much more than any financial or anything type of success that the world can offer. David says, I will rest in peace. There's no better sense of victory when our heart is at peace with God. Stress destroys peace, but God restores it to the heart that has been given to him. And another phrase in here David talks about, he says, I will sleep. Sleep deprivation is directly linked with stress and worrying. People lose sleep over worrying how a certain situation is going to happen. But the fact that David is saying, I will rest in peace and sleep, tells you a lot about the condition of his heart. It shows that he has more than just an ability to close his eyes and sleep, but it shows he's found his security. When we allow all these things to cause us to worry, the stress to overcome us and become anxious and fearful about the things that happened in the past, the things that may be happening right now, and maybe we're uneasy about the future, it can bring a lack of security. And so David's emphasizing God is the only source of security. But our responses need to be proper to God so that we can have that security, that rest, that joy, that sleep. Turn to Isaiah chapter 26 in closing here. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. I want to leave these verses. Isaiah writes, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trusting in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Yes, victory amidst the problems, the stresses of life is possible. There's going to be those times where we do feel like we're being torn apart, like we're being strangled. And we don't know which way to turn. But as we learn again and again to trust in God and to submit ourselves completely into his will, it's then that we can find that peace, that sleep, that rest, that victory. We can have victory, but it has to be channeled through the power of God. He is our source of strength. You and I are not big enough 
to conquer these stresses on our own, so let's lean on God. Let's kneel for prayer.